Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You know, in terms of being able to achieve anything that I want to in my life, it's just a matter of deciding, finding what it is that I need to help me to do that and getting the right people around me and believing enough in myself. And I think that kind of all stemmed from back then. Three, two, one. My name's Espri Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. So in five weeks, I produced 22 events. This personal spot is about why, why I did that, I suppose. The sanity or lack of sanity behind it all. Why would I go out? Did I have to produce 22 or could I have just produced five that I promised everybody? Well, first of all, I've always felt that I'm an artist of human connection. If you hear sounds, it's because I'm outside taking a walk. I'm an artist of human connection and I wanted to create these events to create my art. And I promised everybody five, but I just found things that intrigued me creatively and I wanted to create those for everybody. And so I did, and so I created 22 in the end and it was amazing and yes by the very very tail end I seemed to survive all the way through very tail end I just I I did start to go into burnout mode and now after all these events I'm like teetering to recover back from that burnout mode but it was very exciting and after it made me reflect on like because I did 22 events there was close to no profit for me. And, the, and definitely no profit if you counted my time. So my time wasn't counted whatsoever. And I think about, you know, why. Like people do things because they want to create like wealth on the other side, right? Financial wealth. But isn't life just a collection of adventures and, and cool life experiences? And if I was able to create 22 really cool life experiences, enjoying the company of like extraordinary people, isn't that in itself so wealthy? 
because I could have easily made it quote unquote profitable had I not over delivered to the extent that I did. But, but it was so exciting. Like I would not do it over again. I would not like, meaning I would not like do it over and do less. I would, if I did it over again, I would do the same exact amount. Like it was extraordinary life experiences. So it just, I don't know, as long as we could pay for a roof over our head and have food in our mouth and luxuries that a lot of people around the world do not experience, like just the bare foundations. Beyond that, like what is life? One of, one of the business people that I really respect and admire, he's, you know, done extremely well for himself. And he says he did, no longer attains joy when he purchases anything. Nothing feels exciting anymore. And so there's all these different stages. My other friend once said, as he's on the come up, he once said, I want to enjoy the time that I can with my friends now because maybe later as I'm more successful, I won't have the same amount of time. So right now my luxury is time. Just everything in our world is all a perspective shift. And it's all kind of prioritizing just what matters to us. And instead of chasing, 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 and never being, never enjoying, it's like we end up there, wherever there is, and then, and then we're like, uh, now what? And then it's just this like emptiness. So on and on I go as I take this walk, having missed my exercise class by a few minutes. But uh, yeah, that's my musings for the morning. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating incredible women in tech from around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me today is the incredible Ludwina from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Ludwina. Thank you very much for having me, Catherine. I'm so excited. I know. So excited to have you here. And look, let's let's get kick-started. How about you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? Okay, so I'll just talk with the present because I'm 56, so it's been a long journey. So if there's anything you want to pick up on from your research in the past, go for it. But right now I'm the founder and CEO of The Room Exchange, which is Australia's first verified house sharing platform. I founded the company just over five years ago. Um, proud to say we survived uh, the two years of COVID um, and we're here stronger than ever now. And thankfully at a time where, you know, we've we're in a rental crisis across the country and it's the first time in 30 years that I've been in property that I can say that the country has experienced a, rent, a rental crisis and that's what we're all about, accessing affordable uh, rentals and with less than 1% supply in most places across the country in terms of rental. But we've got 13.5 million unused spare bedrooms in 10 million homes across Australia and in my mind that's existing housing stock and so we're here to help support households in renting that room and and sharing and also showing them the benefits of sharing not just financially but also um, how it contributes to their lifestyle the other needs that can be met in the home friendship connection you know additional support around the house etc and how then it can also provide accessible housing for people who are looking for rentals. Yeah, I mean, before I touch on, there's so many things to unpack there, but tell us a little bit about you, Ludwina. Tell us something cool, something fun. <laughs> well, I'm also an artist. Oh, gosh, when I first founded the company, I uh, was capital raising, and anyone who's who's done that would know that it's 
gosh, it's a full-time job in and of itself. Um, but it's also incredibly stressful, um, can be heartbreaking at times. You have to have, you know, the thickest of skins that keep going back and back and back. And meditation didn't work for me. I had to find something that would ease my mind. And I have artists in my mother's side of the family, so I thought I'm just going to try it. So I got an easel, um, a big canvas for oil paints and some brushes, went away on a long weekend with my husband. It's like a scene in a movie, you know, it's this big A-frame wooden house surrounded by trees in Dandenong. There's a fire roaring and I've got my easel there with this blank canvas and what am I going to paint? I had no idea. My son sent me a photo of that his housemate had taken of him, so I thought I'll paint that. And it was crazy to think that I could, but I did, and to this day it's one of my favourite paintings. So I uh, right behind me here is, also, is my art studio and I have about 50 paintings. I have have art now that's displayed in various different venues across Melbourne for sale but also, you know, in cafes and things like that and I have an online store. Uh, I've got to sell it. It's all wrapped in bubble wrap around my house. So that's an interesting bit of info about me. Wow, that's Sorry, but for someone to be, I'm just imagining that movie scene and going to this getaway and just having that, you know, zen and that flow and seeing that and just, but from you to go from zero to a hundred, I can barely even draw a stick figure. Like I have this image in my mind of what I want to draw and what comes out is nothing like that. So for you to have the first piece of art that you created about your son, like that's amazing. I'd love to be able to see it one day to see what, yeah, just all of that artistic creativity just flowing out of you. Yeah, well, it's on my Instagram account, um, but it's it's a, it did take about thirty hours. It just didn't get done that weekend. But and halfway through it, I realised I needed a bit of help in terms of colour mixing and things like that. But you know, uh, most of the things that I've learned all of my life have been through books before the internet. Uh, you know, YouTube, doing short courses. And now we're in tutorial world, you know, like there's so much that you can learn. Um, But I left school at 15 and left home at 16. So everything that I've achieved in my life, I've just done purely through my desire and love of learning. What was that like, leaving school at 15 and then leaving home at 16? Oh, gosh, that, that, that's a big story. Um, And again, remember that I'm 56. So if you sort of think about, you know, the differences in time and life and experiences back then uh there was a lot of pain and heartache in my early childhood a lot of disassociation experiences that you wouldn't want your own child to have and so it just came to a point where I did start school early so it was year 10 when I finished and at that time it was acceptable to finish school in year 10 but I just felt that I needed to leave and go and carve my own path in life and at the time, I was living in a little, I grew up in a little country town with 500 people in New South Wales. And I, at 16, I moved to Sydney on my own with $200 in my pocket. So that to me was, yeah, one of my, I would say, my first defining moments of my adult life. And it's funny that I say that, 16, adult life. It was when I, I think I realised that I really had chutzpah, you know, not at the time, but, you know, later on looking back. But, you know, in terms of being able to achieve anything that I want to in my life. It's just a matter of deciding, finding what it is that I need to help me to do that and getting the right people around me and believing enough in myself. And I think that kind of all stemmed from back then. 200 bucks at 16 in a, in a, I mean, a big city, right? Compared to where you were from, 500 people in total. That's not even a school. <laughs> you know, that's not even the population of a True. school. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> So how, what did you do? How did you navigate that? 
look, I had to develop a pretty thick skin. I grew up in a town where my brother and I were the only coloured kids and, you know, that's what we used to get called back then. Um, uh, you know, it's a lot of racism and and I had my parents were white and there's a whole story around that. You know, so kind of putting myself in an environment where I didn't think about it at the time, but going to Sydney, when I was in Sydney, it was just sort of like oh, I was seeing people who were like me for the first time in my life. It's actually interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Um, I, I started working in hospitality at the time. Now, you know, yes, it was illegal. I was only 16, but it ended up being, you know, a really incredible experience for me. And at the age of 17, I ended up working in a nightclub in um, uh, Darlinghurst called The Cauldron. And anyone who's of my age group and spent time in Sydney back then would know that it was the best place in the entire city. It was back when the cross used to be the, the cross and, you know, Darlinghurst was incredible. And it was a very private club and lots of all the big celebrities that came to town used to come there. And because of my vivacious personality, I used to get put in charge of looking after them all. So, you know, the biggest names in the world, you can imagine, at the time that came to Australia back then were people I was hanging, hanging out with. And so... What I learned about that was that, you know, people were just people and I wasn't phased by their celebrity. I wasn't phased by, you know, for me it's just you treat people well and if you do, I don't care who you are. And and that actually served me well back then and I was also really good at sales. I got so many people rotten drunk. I'm so sorry for all the people back then who's, you know, spent far too much money on alcohol because of my persuasive nature. But, you know, it, it just taught me a lot about sales, about people, connection, being yourself and knowing that, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I felt at that time that I was enough, you know, in what I was doing. And I sort of not grown up with that. So that whole experience that you had from when you were 16 to about 17 and a half, 18, is something that takes someone a whole lifetime. You know, all of those skills and you find really growing into yourself and finding yourself at such a tumultuous time in your life too, you know, like you've just been, you've just moved. You know, no, I'm guessing you knew no one. Did you know anyone in Sydney? Oh, a couple of people and my grandmother was there and an aunt. Right. But yeah. Right. And then you went into a nightclub and then we're dealing with people who, celebrities, you know, like how did you not get swept in that whirlwind of that whole world? Oh, I didn't say I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my apologies. My, sorry, my assumptions. Yeah. Oh. And and it was a five, it was about five, six year period that I worked, five years that I worked at the Cauldron. You know, look at anyone who remembers the 80s, it was a very decadent time. And anyone who had the opportunity to experience it will say that there was never a decade like it ever. Um, and I'm sure that my parents' generation had said that the 60s was probably like that, et cetera. But I'm the kind of person, I guess, is sort of always known my limits. So I didn't get dragged into it like I could have um, and I, like a lot of people around me did. But then having said that too, the people that I was spending a lot of time with who were in that sort of celebrity sort of space were in the music industry and were a bit older. So they'd sort of gone through that craziness of, you know, in their youth and they were sort of, you know, a bit more stable and balanced around that. I spent a year in um, New York when I was 19 with some of the people that I'd met in Australia, you know, they sent limos to the airport to pick me up and then arrived. The first night I had in New York City, I, I arrived, had a car pick me up, take me to the, the China Club on 75th of Broadway. And I was taken to a table where there was Steve Winwood, Iggy Pop, Julian Lennon, Iman, Carmine Rahas, who was Julian Lennon's musical director. Julian was there as well. And, and it was like this, you know, 19-year-old kid from Australia. So it sort of gives you an idea of the level of people I was spending time with. 
Okay, so 15 leaves home. That leaves school. 16 leaves home. 17 decides to go to Sydney and, and is working in, at the Cauldron. Uh, about within that five-year span gets, what, 19 gets sent to New York? Well, I, like, went, to, I went there, yeah. It gets picked up by a limo, which I don't think I've ever been in a limo. So <laughs> I'm like 30-something and I'm still waiting for that moment. That's that's such a wild ride, you know, and and for you to I don't know how you do this, and I I wish, I wish I knew how to share this with when I was teaching with my students, where it's kind of like the finding yourself, especially the, at that age, and not losing yourself at the same time, you know, getting swept up in all of the craziness and the hoo ha that's happening around you. Like, how did you quote unquote know your limits when it came to that sort of stuff, and not you know where not to go to and not get sucked in there? Look, I guess I just liked life too much. You know, I, I did see a lot of people really fall away. Some people die, you know, wasting their life. There, there was a lot of that that was going on around that time. I don't know. I've always had this innate sense of survival, I think. You know, part of it was born into domestic violence as well. So I think anyone who's kind of, you know, had that as an early part in life, it's kind of instinctive things that you develop and become when you've had to constantly defend yourself and defend how you look and, you know, and you, you stand out like a sore thumb, but you're not sort of really understanding. Like there's, there's things I, I think that just develop within you that just give you this ability. I'm trying to think of this. It's just from my own personal experience. I don't, I can't, I, I can't really answer that, Catherine. I just think it's, I've always known that there's a lot in me that I can do and that I can give. And I just love life enough to want to experience it. But at times I, didn't handle that very well um, and knew that I needed to do something different. And even now at this stage in my life, you know, that when it comes to when I have high levels of stress and you can't do what I do without it, I experience anxiety sometimes and that's ha- been happening a bit lately. And when that happens, I give myself permission to, okay, I understand I journal a lot. Like I've got, you know, <laughs> this is my latest one. I've got journals, boxes of them, and I handwrite how I'm feeling because it helps me dissect it and break it down. And because I bring awareness to the feelings of it, it's not like this monster that's dancing around in my head. And I've just always had that ability to be able to just sort of like just stop and recognise how I'm feeling. And you can't go through life, whether it was me at that young tender age or whether it was when I was 44 and got cancer or whether it's 25 and giving birth to my first child and pretty much a kid myself to whether, you know, like all the different things that sort of happen in life, at some point you've just got to make a decision about how it is that you're going to to deal with it. Are you going to let it swallow you up? And that word decision is the most, is the biggest thing that I live by in my life. I'm incredibly decisive and I, I know when I get to a point where, oh, something's got to give. Um, no, I'm feeling this way because I'm not exercising as much, or I know I'm feeling this way because I'm going to sleep too late or, you know, whatever it is. And because I give myself the time to self-reflect every single day, I can keep a handle on it, you know, and I tell, and I keep myself accountable to my advisors and they know, especially how I'm feeling. You know, if I'm feeling flat, I can actually get on the phone to my advisor. It doesn't have to be, the conversation doesn't have to be about business. The first thing they'll ask me is how you feeling? because I've taught them, you know, you teach people how to treat you, how you're feeling, and then they can hear it in my voice if I'm not okay, you know, and we talk about that first before we talk about anything else. And I just think that as human beings, we live in a very complex world 
every generation has had their complexity, whether it's war. You know, we still have wars going on in the world right now. We've had COVID. We've had so much going on. The only thing in life that you can be certain of, Catherine, is change and problems. They're the only things that you can be certain of. And it's like, well, how are you going to deal with them? Just don't, if you, if you try not to have too many extreme highs, then you won't have too many extreme lows. So when happiness and joy comes, appreciate it for what it is. But don't, I don't get myself overly stoked about it, but I just embrace it and enjoy it as much as when the lows come, it's like I don't let myself sink into the low. And, and look, that's just who I am as a person and I'm a, a com- culmination of all of my life experiences. I have no regrets about anything that I've done um, or even the, the, the bad stuff that happened to me has formed who I am and that has given me the ability for huge empathy and compassion and understanding and wisdom and um, insight and I can see things in the future. Like I, I have this part of myself that's quite futuristic in a way with being ahead of the time and, and I think it's done a lot of that. I love that you're so aware of yourself and I, obviously it's it sounds like an ongoing practice for you, you know, like you're putting in the stops around you to make sure that that happens and, and it really sounds like, you know, you're, and I really love when you're saying about you're, you let yourself just feel and just be, you know, instead of having to give into a lot of the, the culture that's out there, the narrative around like you've got to hustle, you've got to push through, you've got to grind, and, you know, like as you can see, you know, <laughs> I see just looking at your face and your reaction to that, you, you can obviously see that that can sometimes have really adverse effects, you know, when you're not listening to yourself, right, oh, and, and the inner self that could move you forward. Yeah. So many things. It's so funny because I'm if I didn't have video on, right, Lynn and I just listened to these experiences that you had for the first, you know, five, six years of your life, I would imagine you're you've just you're covered in tattoos, you know, like a real awesome music groupie, you know, like all of these things. And sitting right in front of me is this, you know, incredibly professional woman who's so empathetic and and I'm just like, what? Like what's going on here? And, and so, I mean, there are so many things that you kind of just so many crumbs that you put uh, in what you were talking about there. But you mentioned, okay, let, let, let's go cancer, right? You mentioned that you had cancer not too long ago. Tell me about that experience, like for you and for your family as well. Yeah, it's been 12, 12 years now and I still, you know, like the tears still come in the back of my eyes. But um, I was 44, so it was 12 years ago. And at the time I was, I had founded and was running Australia's third largest women's network events business. And I was uh, business consulting and I would get all my clients out of these events <clears throat> and we were just launching in our fifth state in Perth and the day that I was uh, the event was happening that night that morning I was in hospital I'd had the most insufferable pain um, in my uh, lower left flank in my back I couldn't figure out what it was I couldn't sit I couldn't lay down it was just anyway the woman I was staying with was very aware of that there was something wrong took me to the hospital they just spent all day doing tests. They couldn't figure it out because the last thing on their mind was that this 44-year-old woman would have kidney cancer. And I just said, look, something's going on. And they ended up doing a CT scan with contrast eye and they found a 14-centimetre tumour on my kidney. So if you look at your hand, look at your hand, that was the size of the tumour that I had on my kidney. You have two kidneys and you only really need one, obviously, because I only have one now. Yeah, it had just stopped functioning, but the other one was had taken over. Um, but it had become so big it was pushing against my sciatic nerve and that was the only reason I knew that it was there. So then I uh, flew back to, well, I had to tell my husband over the phone and then flew back to Melbourne the next day and then the next three weeks was just intensive tests. It's, if it had a spread beyond the kidney, there's nothing they could have 
done for me because of the type of cancer it was, I would have died within 12 months. Or if it had contained itself just on the kidney, then I was lucky. It was a radical nephrectomy, but then I also had to survive that because it was so big. So, and that morning we were at the lawyers. Um, I had written letters to my kids, to my husband, to all my friends, my family. Like I did not know if I was going to survive the surgery. So, you know, obviously I did, thank goodness. It was about a 12-month recovery. Um, and in that time I discovered podcasting, which we can go back to at some point. Um, and the following year where they took the kidney out because they did a four keyhole cuts and then they did a cut in my stomach to pull the mass out, um, my internal organs started pushing through the scar tissue because it was so the cutting was so deep. They call it incisional hernia. And then so they had to cut it open again and put mesh inside, you know, like when you repair a pair of jeans, you put that, yeah, it was like that and stitch it up. And then the following year, the same thing happened again. It started popping out the other end of it. And so they had to cut me open again and then they meshed up the whole thing. And thankfully I haven't had any surgery since and I'm 12 years cancer free. Firstly, congratulations. Thank you. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'm take cancer free. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I just had to take a moment to pick my chin off the floor of every time just these challenges were coming up, you were obviously just facing them head on. But how did you, I mean, that would have been such a big moment. I mean, you're writing letters to your kids and your husband, and I'm sure, you know, your will and all of these things that you don't have, you don't think you have to think about at 40. How has that shaped you? How have you kind of overcome that? Or are you still working on it? Look, look, it's an interesting question because a lot of people, you know, around me at the time was like, you know, asking me all these kind of like, esoterical questions, you know, what have you learned from it? And, you know, kidney cancer is from fear and, you know, and all this sort of, I don't know, BS, I reckon, but not to discredit anyone that believes that, but the experience when you're going through that, that's not helpful, right? So for me, it was about what do I need to do to get through this? What does my family need to get through this? And I need to give myself the time to recover from it. But how can I also keep my business brand alive that do- doesn't require me to look good, feel good, or go anywhere? <laughs> so, you know, th- they were the things that sort of were, were going through my mind. So I gave myself permission for three months to to have what I now, what I call and now call no have to time. So that meant that for three months, if I was just in my pyjamas in bed the whole time, that was fine. My friend knew that on this particular date, a week before that date, they needed to make sure that I was getting, you know, I, I started getting me up and dressed and whatever it is, but check on me as they were through that time. But and but on this particular date, um, I had them take me out for lunch. So that date was my cutoff date for the no have to time. That was how long the doctor said that I needed. And then from there I started to um, to do some things to get my mind back on and that's when I started podcasting so that was in 2010 and that was that was kind of the beginning of my uh tech career I guess it's one thing that cancer gave me was technology and it was really interesting that um because before that I had and we've sort of skipped a few years before that but I had a tv and video production company when I first started I guess entrepreneurial career in my late 20s and that was back in the analog days and so when I thought oh, I've done tv and I've done video and that question that I said, what can I do that doesn't require me to look good, feel good or go anywhere? And so I couldn't do networking events, obviously. And that's how my business brand was 
staying alive. And I thought, well, I could probably still coach and advise over the phone. Or what about try podcasting? That's just audio. That answers all those three questions. And I thought I, I should be able to pick that up pretty easily. So I just did a whole lot of study and found a producer in the US who was helped me with the production side of it. And the next thing you know, I had this radio, <laughs> I called it a radio program. And I had to teach people how to download a podcast on iTunes. I hit number one like three times, new and noteworthy. Like it was just crazy. And then I ended up producing the podcast masterclass, you know, and this whole thing just kind of, it just took me into a different trajectory. So, you know, while I was recovering, I was still using the time because I had to get, keep my head for me learning and challenging myself is always really important. So podcasting happened. And after the second surgery, I wrote a book called It's That Easy Online Marketing 3.0. And after the third surgery, the following year, the day that I was having my third surgery, the book was being released in print and digital uh, worldwide. So it was just, it was a crazy time. Like it was, you know, there was all this awful stuff going on, but in amongst it all, I was, you know, learning and discovering new things as well. So I don't know if that answered your question. I can't remember what it is, and I'm sorry. But <laughs> no, so I just want I just want to say as minimal as possible to just get you keep going because I'm like she's going to come up with another <laughs> really cool story that we just didn't anticipate, and and it was definitely one of them. Did not realize that you were dropping that book at the same time on the day of your surgery. Like that's unreal. And you were saying that this was kind of the start of your tech trajectory. I'm guessing you had a few ventures before um, the like the room exchange. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've been at this for 28 years. I've never had a day job, actually. I've worked in hospitality and then just started working for myself. So, sorry, I had a day job for three weeks once. That's all it lasted. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I'm guessing you found out that you were just not employable. (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's how I describe myself. Certainly not employable at all. So talk to me about the room exchange. Like you were talking about, you know, I guess at the moment real estate in Australia and I'm guessing around the world. When a bit of dire straits and, you know, going through COVID and that sort of stuff too, what gave you the idea to want to start such a unique kind of house-sharing, you know, method? Yeah, well, you'll find that most um, people who traditionally have the entrepreneurial streak, and I say that because I think the word's been bastardised a lot now. I think when you really, you know, words and language change over time, particularly when they become overused. When you have an idea or thought, Generally, in my experience, it has come from some a problem that I've solved myself, something that I'm doing myself that somebody else has brought awareness around that I wasn't aware that I was doing something so differently or so well. And or I hear three times or more that something that I'm doing is a good idea. So they're my kind of like ways that I do it. This particular time was when my eldest son, who's now 30, he was about 22 at the time, uh, when he first left home, um, I I saw his empty room as wasted space. It wasn't like I was in a hurry to, you know, to fill it. But, you know, I cried for a year as most mothers do when their first kid leaves home. Then it was like, oh, you know, uh, what can I do with this? And I did what a lot of people do and I listed on Airbnb for a year, which was great. I had a lot of fun, but I didn't like the four hours it took to get the entire house hotel ready for $50 a night. It just didn't fly with me. Um, but I love the experience of having, having random people come into my home and the energy it brought and the excitement and, you know, I've been, been married, literally just celebrated, um, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. So congratulations. With, thank you. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wonderful time too. We had a really, really great time, but you know, the, the conversations become routine and regular. So when you have somebody else that comes into your 
space, it actually creates a different energy, right? You'd know that you're probably a house share at, at the moment yourself. And, and, and I, and I love that, but I wanted that to sort of be something that was maintained a bit more. So anyway, we stopped doing that. And then my, um, my daughter had a friend who was traveling, needed somewhere to stay. My husband was, uh, renovating our rental property and needed some help with painting and just sort of cleaning up the mess. So this guy came and stayed with us and on the weekends he helped Harry and then we fed and housed him and that started. And then he he left after a few weeks and somebody else was traveling and Tiana said, oh, you know, can can my friend come and stay? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And, and then he stayed for a few weeks and then what, needed to stay a bit longer. And I said, well, look, you can stay, if, if you help us out a couple of hours a day around the house, we'll feed and house you. And this just kept going on and on and on. And then anyway, um, my friend started saying, great idea, where can I find someone? Heard that three times. And it's like these antennas start growing out of my head. It's like, doo, 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 something's here. And then I <laughs> talked to my husband about it and, ha- and Harry said, I think we could turn this into a global platform. And I said, yeah, I think we can too. And he said, good, you should do it. And I went, okay, because I'm the techie in the family. And, yeah, so that was really how it initially the idea began. And then uh, what where what it started as and where it is now is quite different, but still the same, if that makes sense. Um, and I believe that we're now, we came at the right time. We started at the right time to learn what we needed to learn and to make the mistakes we needed to make. And for me to grow into this um, very complex role, I've never had anything a role like this before. So that now with the the levels, the real levels of complexity that is happening in this space around the country, I now have the confidence and the and and the gall to go go to government, for example, and say, hey, you guys need to uh we've got the solution to your problem. You need to, you know, partner with us so we can help solve this housing crisis in the country. And, you know, as much as yesterday, I was talking to two politicians and, you know, it's happening all over the place, as well as companies that we're wanting to partner with and um, you know, it, it's just fascinating what's happening right now. But literally that's how it started. Uh, one of my advisors kept challenging me on, you know, you need to shift the model a bit and maybe bring rent into it, not just purely, we used to call it exchanging at the time, not just purely exchanging and got to change the language a little bit. This is all happening through COVID. And and I remember it was very difficult at the time to for me to do that because it's kind of like having a, it's like someone telling you that you've got to raise your child differently. You know, you've got this idea of what you, um, you know, your values and beliefs around your child, and then somebody else comes along and says, "No, you have to do it differently." Or maybe the child tells you, "No, I need, I need it to be different," or whatever the circumstances. And it's like, no, this is what it's supposed to be. And I remember having this internal fight with myself about it, and this internal fight with Craig about it. And um, and then when I finally let it go, and I went, "Okay, you're right. How do we then do this?" So I still have the same passion and vision around it because I'm still the one that has to drive it, right? And then when that moment hit and I did let it go, then it was able to form, it it literally, it was like it formed itself. The story, the new language, the new brand, rental, rent offset, all of these things, household, housemate, it all started to form its own brand in my mind so easily. It just flowed. And then it was just like, yes, this is what it's supposed to be. And it's just our technology is world-class. My CTO has worked in def- um, at the Defence Force for many years, so it's, it, our data zipped up. It's really tight. We, you know, the, the brand is strong. The reputation in the marketplace is strong where, you know, industry leaders and government le- people are hearing about us. People are coming to me now and saying, hey, I've heard about you. How can you help us? And 
So it's really exciting. So we're on we're on the cusp right now of flying and it's been hard. It's been really, really hard, but you know, push through and here we are. I mean, congratulations on, on the success and I guess everybody working together. It sounds like your advisors are really have your back, you know, have the obviously the, the hoods better actually have us to see what it's you know, the future and, and kind of help guide you there and also the patience to, to have you be ready to just let go and go, okay, right, it's my decision and this is the time. This is, you know, now now is the time. It's really interesting the way that it, it kind of first came about because I guess for me personally, it's really surprising. I've only ever grown up with, you know, house sharing and stuff like that and uh, through rent, right, like through monetary value, monetary exchange for a space or whatever. Are you surprised at how much people really took to the concept of actually, no, I can trade it for some hours of housework or, you know, can you look after my kids while I'm going out? That sort of thing. Like, are you surprised or, or did you kind of in retrospect, you're like, eh, that makes sense. No, I'm not surprised because it's not really a brand new concept. It's been happening for years in various different ways, centuries even. And really it's just, I, I guess for want of a better word, it's a modern day version of a border. Um, so we're not talking about single people who are coming together to um, rent a house as flatmates together, right? That's not our market, although there's a lot of people from that market who are coming over to ours now. We're talking about an individual going into sharing a home in an established household that's owned by the people that are in it generally. Sometimes it's rented. but So, for example, my husband and I, um, our youngest has left home, so now um, we've got all the space and we've got no kids at home, all the space here. And right now I'm actually I'm wanting to find a woman in her 50s that can come and share um, our space with us because there's a, they're a very big market of, a uh, demographic of um, women at the moment. They're really struggling and I want to do some media stories around how easy it would be to help them, you know, post just post-divorce and things like that. And I've got a master suite. We've got two master rooms in this house. I've got a master suite with an ensuite. It's fully furnished, walk-in robe. There's another living room upstairs. You know, there's heaps of space in this house. And the rent, including bills, would be $250 a week. Um, if they help me sell a bunch of secondhand stuff online for two hours a week, I'll knock $50 a week off and then it's only $200 a week, right? So that's called the rent offset. So you can offset part or all of the rent. It's completely up to um, what the household needs are but also what the housemate is willing to do. There are some people who... Um, you know, we, we sort of talk about $25, $30 an hour, just sort of depending on what, what it is that, that you're doing. We think that's pretty reasonable. Um, it's generally gardening, you know, doing additional cooking, additional cleaning on top of what you would normally do as a housemate. So this, this is not, you know, you live here and do nothing and then you offset, you know, all of the rent. It's like you still got to clean your own bathroom and cook your share of the meals and things like that. But this is above and beyond. So it might be pick up the kids after school and look after them for an hour, Monday to Friday, which is very difficult for a lot of mothers to get that kind of care. Mothers and fathers, sorry. Could be I've got a vegetable garden out the back, but I don't have green thumbs. So if somebody wanted to come and spend a couple of hours a week just even establishing that garden for me, I would take that as an offset. Um, doing my laundry, uh, you know, on Saturday, do a four-hour clean you know, and so I don't have to do any of it at all. It, it just depends on what you need. As long as it's non, uh, sorry, non-professional skill or non-licensed. So um, if somebody wanted to help me with, say, maybe some emailing or with some social media would be fine, but they couldn't advise me on my accounting or legal. Or, you know, if they wanted to help me sell my artwork or um, 
do some po- uh, pamphlet deliveries for the business or, you know, like just things like that that are non-skilled and non-professional, no, it's non-professionally skilled is what I'm trying to say. And it's just like that additional help. And then it's like, well, my be- spare bedroom is my asset. So I should be able to use it in the best way for for me. So what is that? It might be rent because right now, you know, the spare bedrooms were ten to twelve thousand a year in rent. With the in continuous hikes in interest, it's ridiculous. Yeah, households are scrambling for that additional money. Well, if you rented your spare room ongoing, then you would have that money. You wouldn't have to worry about it. Or it might be the help. We've got a worker shortage in Australia because we don't have we haven't opened up our international borders like they were pre-COVID, and so a lot of the people that did the fruit picking or they did the you know gardening or cleaning in people's houses and stuff where a lot of them were international or, or university students or they're not here you know I'm, I'm even hearing so much frustration from people that they can't actually get that domestic household help that they used to but you know people are looking for somewhere to live like why can't we combine the two of them that's that's what it is how how do you want to use your spare bedroom What's the needs of the person who wants to rent? Do they need to save some money? Do they only have part-time work? Are they happy to maybe offset all of the rent and then only work half the week? Like you can really create a lifestyle that best suits you and then also know that you're contributing to a household as well. And the beautiful thing about it, and and I just want to make a point just in case we don't get the, the opportunity to, every single one of our registered users has to have a digital ID by Australia Post. So that's verification. So apart from SMS and email verification, they have to provide a a form of government ID that matches the information that they put on the profile on our website. Now, sorry for the the geeking geek talk here, but it's integrated via an API, which means that you click the verification button, window pops up, it says, welcome to Digital ID by Australia Post in partnership with the Room Exchange. And so you can see that. And then you you choose whether you want a driver's license or passport or Medicare card or whatever it is, that your name and your date of birth has got to match what you've put on our profile. If it doesn't, you can't get verified, so you can't connect with anyone. That keeps our community safe. That's a mandatory requirement. It's not a nice to have. There's no other house sharing platform that has it as a mandatory. And we cover the cost of that. The second thing is that the profiles make it easy for you to find compatibility. Now, we want you to feel like you're coming home to a friend, not a stranger. And our profiles, by the time you've looked, you've read through them, you go, oh, yeah, I could be really good friends with that person. And it's funny, a lot of people say it's like a dating site for, for housemates, you know, just finding that that sort of match that's there. And then the third thing is that you can choose whether you want to do have a, a traditional rental model or a rent offset model. Both the household and housemates can select that. And then you just go through, once you, your profile's 100% complete, you can go and do a connect request with someone. And if they like your profile and they think you're compatible, they'll accept it. And then you can message with our inbuilt messenger on the platform. At this point, still nobody knows, you know, your personal information. None of your personal information is shown to the public. You can choose your preferred name, whatever photos you want, and the rest are just multiple choice questions. So it keeps everyone safe, but it's enough for you to make that decision about whether they're right for you or not. And then you can choose, okay, well, let's meet at a cafe or we'll do a FaceTime or however it is that you want to connect and then you can go on from there. And so you can do that completely on your own or we've also got a matching service. So if the household would like um, us to do the work for them and go through a recruiting and interviewing process, because not always is there going to be somebody in your area that's going to be ideal for your household, we can recruit them um, and then interview them and then we find the right person who um, 
okay, we interview them. We go, yeah, I think this will be right. And then we do a three-way video interview. Do we help fac- facilitate that conversation? And then at that point you can tell because I can't get a word in edgewise, you know. Um, and then from there they go and meet and if they decide that they want to uh, move in with each other, then we um, charge them the fee then. So it's a no match, no fee model. So there's various different ways that people can do it. And it's just, it's innovative, it's different. No one's doing it like we are. And it just means that, you know, the household and the housemate's got the power to choose how it is that they want to live. That's awesome. I mean, so many moving pieces, but what I really hear from what you've been saying is that because of the the, the structure of how it works and, and it's about, you know, having actual friendships, you know, because you're actually getting involved in the family life every day, you know, day-to-day life of these families who are in the house, that, you know, community is such an important part of what you are doing and also keeping community safe is really important as part of what you're doing. So having those ID verification checks and having that as mandatory, I think obviously reflects the fact that, you know, you're taking this really seriously, safety, because you're welcoming someone into your home, but not as, not just into your home, but also it's just into your world, you know what I mean? Because actually getting involved in your world. So I think that's really cool. And I can only imagine, you know, the friendships that will come out of it, you know, th- that you never thought would happen if you didn't kind of mm, get yourself into it. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've got a story there I'd, I'd like to share. So just last week, um, Andrew, who lived with us for about four or five months, uh, about four years ago, um, he and his um, wife had just separated. He was finishing his PhD in astrophysics. He, he just needed somewhere to be for a while so he could finish it. And he moved in with us and it was it was just like I would never have imagined to live with somebody with his kind of interest and thinking. It was so different to us. But he just interjected so much joy and our dinner conversations. I learned so much about astrophysics and the work he does, et cetera, and, and just last week he was, well, he told me a month ago that he and his new girlfriend were tra- doing some travelling around from coming up from Adelaide and could you stop by for dinner? And I said, come stay over. So they came and stayed over last Friday and it was just amazing because you do form these lifelong friendships. And I can say that about, I think now we've had eight people house share with us and I can say that about every single one of them that they always know that if they, they need a home that they've got one here. That's just a beautiful I guess not, not even a side effect because it's it's what will happen naturally, you know, because of the way that you've structured it, that you just have these lifelong friendships where it's like, no, no, all good. I've, you know, come stay over for a weekend if you're, you know, swinging by from Adelaide. So um, I think that's such a cool, I don't know, just such a cool experience uh, to be part of um, and to have those friends no matter where you are and just know that there's, you know, you always have a home <laughs> um, somewhere in the world, you know. So uh, I just got, just before we finish off, I just have some quick fire questions for you. So I'm pretty sure like some of these you've got, uh, you've already answered some of them, but let's, let's see if you've, you've come up with something different. Favorite book. I have to say my journal. Okay. Oh, oh gosh. That's I, a good yeah, answer. No, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Look, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. I have to say my journal. It's, um, although it, interestingly, I don't go back and read over them. If those journals um, could talk, I could. I think we'd have I some know, sort yeah. of <laughs> multi-part docu series. They are going to be turned into a book. I, trust me. There's a few books that you know. Once I'm at a stage in my life where I can just write and paint and you know just have a podcast that's about stories that I want to tell, then yeah, that, those journals will turn into a book. Oh, I did not see that coming. I like your answer. Uh, favorite <laughs> podcast. I have to say, uh, Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett. Oof, that guy. I can't. Oh, oh. my gosh. If he was, oh, he just, I'm so proud of him. It's like I go mama all over him. He's just, he's 29, 30 or something. It's, he's my kid's age and 
And it's just, it's, it's interesting. There's so many similarities in our childhoods. Like is he's half white, half black, and I'm, I'm the same. And, you know, growing up with that sort of displacement, not feeling where you belong. And, and, and then the, the parts that make him him that have got him to where he's are he he where he is he got there a lot sooner than I did but I was having children so I think I can take tick that box there. There's such similar qualities and I love his curiosity like his ability to interview is just he he's genuinely interested in understanding the person that's right in front of him and he creates this beautiful safe place where. They can just be really open and vulnerable, and like the Jesse J interview was just oh, it was just crazy, and the Mel C interview, and the Jordan Peterson when he interviewed him, and so it's like that Jordan Peterson would be so hard to interview. And I've done like three hundred interviews. I think oh, one day I'm going to interview him, but he would be so hard to interview. But like yeah, he's just amazing. I'm very 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 proud, and I can say that he sort of puts hearts on some of my. Uh, post that I do on his um, YouTube comments. So hopefully I'd like to actually meet the guy one day. I'd like for him actually. I'd love for Stephen Bartlett to be an investor in my company. Ooh, there you go. I'll put that out put there. Put it out there. Ooh, put it, put out, it there. out there. I know that he's currently, um, I think, stuck with Third Web. He's his newest venture, I think, in, in I guess, Web3 three, three space. But, I mean, let's put it out there. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I might even send him a sound bite of this, you know, how proud you are. Oh, him. please do. Right, that would be really cool. So tech, best resource for tech? Well, for me, being incredibly well organised is the only way that I can do what I do. So organise any tool that supports organisation. Look, I use Trello for my project management. And looks pretty simple. I'm sure there's more complex ones that, you know, or better ones that are out there. I've just been using it for years and I always do. I'd say that that, that because one of the things for me that's super important is to get whatever is in my brain out. Now, whether it's the, as Stephen Bartlett would say, the good ideas book that sits on the shelf for the day when you go and you reach for it to um, what needs to get done this week to what needs to get done today. And I love ticking things off. Uh, oh, another favourite book, Green Lights by uh, Matthew McConaughey. I actually painted his portrait, the cover of that book. It's one of my favourite portraits that I painted. You know, he talks about his love and passion of just striking the task off. And it's like, yes, that's me every day. Like, I, I love that. LastPass is um, a tool that uh, cancer really taught me how important it is. And I'll explain why. Um, you don't know how complex it would be to unravel your life until you have to consider how complex it would be to unravel your life if you were to die. It's hard enough for people, your loved ones behind you, to be mourning you, let alone how to close your accounts down or what your passwords are or, you, you know, what's your email login, what's, you know, it would be like how in the heck would they do it? People don't think about their digital life and the complexity of it. And so my lawyers have my master password for LastPass in my uh, will. Yeah, and my key advisor and my husband and both my kids have also got that master password. So all they've got to do is just log into LastPass and then put that in and they can unravel my entire life, digital life. And it also means that every single password that I use is encrypted, which has meant that I haven't been um, hacked yet. 
let's hope that never happens. But you do what it is that you can within the resources that are available to you and in terms of, you know, tech tools, um, that's incredibly important. And so when I have, um, I work a lot with remote teams and they have to set up their own LastPass account for the room exchange and do the same thing, like um, just make sure that that is um, not written down anywhere, not kept on their phone or anywhere else. It's just a master password that I have access to, that login as well, so I can close that down if I need to. So just those two tools just to sort of keep a bit of sanity. And my other best tech tool is my notebook, pen and notebook. There is something about the analogue that we forget about when we're in tech. And so when you think about me as an artist and also as a a CEO of a tech, a prop tech, property technology, right? There's so much high-level thinking that I have to do in the technology part of my brain or the the analytical um, part of my brain to keep that balance that the art actually helps me to balance that out and not just relax my mind because it is very meditational, but it also helps me to solve problems And because you're constantly solving problems all the time while you're painting. And it's and art is mathematical, particularly when you're doing portraits. It's all everything's about composition, so it's all mathematically based. So in and of itself, it's actually quite using the same skills that you do for technology, but in a much more creative and more of an open, more of a flow, a freedom. There's a freedom to it, but it is actually similar. But when you're writing and when you're doing something with your hands, when you're creating, it's using a different part of your brain really exercises that muscle, I think, that helps me to to be better at the tech side as well. Um, And regardless of whether we're in tech or not, everything is about people and about creativity. The more that we can better understand ourselves and understand the people and care about the people that we're with and the more that we can create, the better we can be, I believe, across the board as a leader. Well, just before I let you go, what can we do to support you? Oh, thank you so much. Well, look, at the very least, if you can go to theroomexchange.com, so it's letter X, no E on it, theroomexchange.com, um, and just register, like even just for our newsletter updates, there is a, a stripper across the middle of all pages where you can just do that. Or if you're ready to sign up, as if you've got a room in your house and you're thinking, yes, I've been think- wanting to do something with that, um, then uh, register as a household and go through the process. Um, you can also book a call with us. There's links in the footer of the website if you want to know more and there's so much information in the blog. Um, if you're a person who's looking for affordable and accessible rental and you're really struggling with that at the moment, we have a lot of households right across the country. Um, anyone who's listening who's from outside of Australia, we have registrations in 45 countries, so we are looking to expand internationally as well. So if we have any ambassadors from overseas markets, um, and as well as ambassadors across Australia, I have a number of women at the moment who, in their 50s actually who are you know um, volunteering just to help out to connect us with other, you know, organisations. If you've got a podcast you want me to speak on or, um, you know, on any topic that you'd like to as a woman in tech or um, just as the room exchange in general, happy to write. I'm a regular writer for the Real Estate Conversation. There's a bunch of different things that, you know, I can do to contribute back to you as well as, you know, cross promotions, collaborations, things like that. I'm open to anything like that. But if you just connect with me on LinkedIn, it's easy enough and we can go from there. Awesome. You actually did answer my last question, which is how can we connect with you? So on LinkedIn, sounds like the perfect spot. Well, look, thank you so much, everyone, and Ludwina for hanging out with us today on the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women from all around the world. 
Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And of course, say hello to us on our socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Once again, thank you so much for your time, Ludwina. It's been such an incredible conversation and a wild ride. I think a lot of what we didn't even think that we were going to talk about. Um, And thank you to everyone who's listening. Until next time, stay safe, be rad. Bye. Hi, I'm Ludwina Dordovic, the CEO and founder of The Room Exchange, Australia's first verified house sharing platform. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.